He said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about his will for my heart. I'm not talking about being joyful and praying and giving thanks. I need to know what the plan is. And I got news for you. God's will for your life is not a plan. His will for your life is his presence. Somebody write that down. God's will for your life is not a plan. It's his presence. God is not a pirate. What? How many of y'all seen the Goonies? Come on now. That In the Goonies, this kid finds a treasure map. Some of us think that is how God has planned it out for us. He's up in heaven like some cosmic pirate going, I got your plan for you, but you don't get to know what it is. If you follow all the clues and you do everything just right, then maybe I'll give you the plan. Then you'll get to the treasure. Well, I got news for you. If you're here right now and you're obsessing over what God's plan for your life is, chances are the reason you're obsessing is because you need to know what you have to do to become a big success. That's why you want to know. She's like, what if I don't figure out his plan and then I'm not some big success and I don't accomplish great things for God? You're saying... What if I miss the clues and I don't get the treasure? I got news for you. Your plan and what you're going to accomplish is not your treasure. He is your treasure. You already have his will for your life. And it's his life for your will. You see, I believe this. You can write this down. I was thinking about this last week because I'm randomly friends with a basketball player in the NBA, okay? Super random. I'm not even going to tell you his name because I hate when people name drop. Besides, when I hung out with him last time, he's seven feet tall. He picked me up and swung me around like a little rabbit. I did not feel cool. I felt like a hobbit. (laughs) I meet him. He knows Michael Jordan. He knows him. You know, he told me from his own mouth, Michael Jordan is the most miserable basketball player I've ever met. I said, what? No way. Six rings. And it only took him six times. Six for six, 100%. Champion, are you kidding me? Greatest of all time, most would say. How could he be miserable? And he said, it's because his whole identity was wrapped up in how good he was. And now that he can't play basketball anymore, he's got no source for joy. And I need to tell you something. Our culture is going to tell you that what God needs from you is to accomplish great things for him. But I believe that God does not want to maximize your potential. He wants to purify your potential. You know how I know? 
Because there's been times I've played for really big groups of people and my heart was in a miserable place. There's this festival called Life Fest, right? And we're backstage praying. God, use our band. God, use our band. Sounds like a really great thing to pray, right? Like, how could that be wrong? Well, God tapped me on the shoulder. Yo, Mike. What if I want to use the other bands? <laughs> use me first. <laughs> and I realized something. I was using being used by God as my identity. Instead of being known and loved by God as my identity. How many of you guys have ever read the book of 1 John? How many of you have ever read the Gospel of John? How many of you know who John the Disciple is? I grew up in the church, and I remember distinctly in first grade, sitting in my Sunday school class, and my Sunday school teacher got out a felt board. How many of you guys remember the felt board? <laughs> yeah. Y'all, from the digital age, you don't remember the felt board. <laughs> this thing was magic. You open that thing up, and you got little paper characters, and now, boom, levitation. <laughs> Peter walking on the water. It's amazing. She pulls it out, and she starts telling us who the disciples are. She said, here's Matthew. He was a tax collector. Boo. Here's Thomas. He doubted. Boo. Here's Peter. He didn't walk on the water. He sank. Boo. And here's John. John was Jesus' best friend. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. And I said, I want to I wanna be Jesus' best friend. You know, I was like seven years old. I want to be Jesus' best friend. Mm-mm. John. Like, but I want to be the disciple Jesus loves. Like, John. I got older, and I was always told John the disciple was the disciple Jesus loved. He was Jesus' favorite. How many of you heard that? You know what the problem with that is? Is the only place he's called the disciple that Jesus loved is in the books that he wrote. <laughs> I mean, is he sitting there like, here's Peter, here's John. All the other disciples are going, what? But it actually, it sounds like really arrogant, right? Which is our great problem. Our great problem is pride. And that at first blush sounds super arrogant. That this guy would say, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. But think about it for a second. And I want you to think about you for a second. If you were introducing yourself to the world, what would you tell them? John, of every disciple, had the most room to brag. When he talks about himself, that's his chance to say, well, I'm the singer of 10th Avenue North, right? He said, oh, I'm the disciple who laid his head on Jesus' chest. I'm the disciple who got custody of Jesus' mother. He said, 
I was the only disciple who stood at the cross when all the other disciples punked out and ran away. He doesn't say any of that. In fact, in 1 John, he explains himself. He says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. So when he defines himself, when he gives us his identity, it's not in anything he's accomplished for God. It's not in anything he's done for God. It's not in any mission trip he's taken for God. It's not on any stage that he stood and preached or played for God. His identity was completely what God had done for him. You know why? Because that's the one thing that can't be taken. I was reading this book about this guy, a major evangelist, did a bunch of great stuff for God, and he was totally burnt out. How many of y'all ever felt burnt out? He was burnt out. He was doing all this amazing ministry for God. He was doing all this awesome stuff. And he said, I was in prayer, and God spoke to me. He said, Peter, you will not always have the ministry that you have. One day, even that will be taken from you. But you will always be my son. Always. Because it's not based on you. You see, I still struggle with this. Like backstage at LifeFest saying, God, use our band. And God convicted me and he said, you need to quit asking me to use you. Because you're asking me to use you more than the other bands. Because you still need that approval and that validation. Stop praying for God to use you. And start praying that God would just move. That way, when He uses someone else, you don't feel competition, you feel celebration. What if I was just as excited when God used Skillet as when He used my band? What if I was applauding Jesus when for King and Country is getting made much of and people are forgetting about us? It's okay. God sets up kings and he tears down kings. He lets certain people be lifted up. And I got news for you. It's not because they're awesome. It's because he's awesome. I'm not on this stage because, oh, I'm just so much more faithful. And I'm so much more righteous. I'm on the stage because Jesus is my righteousness. So I can stand up against the doubt and the shame, and even the mistakes I've made, and I can speak back to those voices the truth, that I am the disciple that Jesus loved. I can look in the mirror, no matter how many people come to my show or don't come to my show, or buy my CD or don't buy my CD, and I can say, I am the disciple Jesus loved. And now, when I get on stage, I don't need you. I have something to give you. So this all started, it's been a long journey. I didn't get all this at once. It started when I was 17, and I was driving with my best friend to school. His name's Johnny Rios. He's a wild man. I want to tell you one other story if I got time. Hold on, let me see what time it is. Okay, 
So just to give you an idea, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But me and Johnny, he's been my best friend since ninth grade. Right now, he's an addictions counselor in South Florida. And he takes addicts out on paddle boards. And he has counseling sessions with them out on the water. He's a rad dude. But he wasn't always a rad dude. He was a maniac. When we were in college, so about the same time, the same summer that I came to creation for the first time, we're hanging out and we're driving by this, this neighborhood in my hometown. I grew up in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Anybody from Virginia? Okay, come on now. So we're driving by this subdivision and we see this no trespassing sign. Well, for me and Johnny, that was like, come this way. You know? so we go, we hop this fence and we find this trail and we go down this trail, right? And we get to, it's like two miles down, there's this oasis. It's this rock quarry, water, cliffs. It was amazing. We're like, what is this place? And we see these dive signs and we realize, oh, this is like a dive site where they teach scuba diving. So we swim in this rock quarry. We're jumping off the cliffs all day. We go home and the next day we bring all our friends. So there's like <laughs> 10 of us there jumping off the cliffs. And we're mid, we're like about to jump off the cliff and on the other side of the lake down the trail comes a cop car and a, and a souped up V12 Chevy Silverado. And we're like, oh mama, no! And uh, the speaker comes on, please come home from, or come off the rock, you're in trouble. <laughs> so we jump down, we swim across and we're, you know, scared. And we're more scared we're not scared of the police officer, we're scared because the guy behind him is this 300 pound Marine who owns this place. And he gets out, he's 6'5", and he's like in fatigues, t-shirt, buzz cut. He looked like he could eat me, right? <laughs> you boys could go to prison for six months. I could fine you each $5,000. You guys are going to <laughs> And he stopped and he started squealing. And we're all terrified as it is. We're in utter and complete I'm going to die. This is how I die. He's about to spontaneously combust all over me. He stops mid-sentence, and he starts tearing off his clothes. And he jumps into the water and totally naked, starts thrashing around like a beached dolphin. And I mean... We all were like slowly <laughs> like holding each other and shaking. Five minutes of this go on and he gets out of the water totally naked and he gets a towel out of his truck and he goes, you guys get the heck out of here. And, uh, and we go, okay. what just happened to you? <laughs> and he, apparently if you're a 300 pound Marine, you have a lot of force with your fists. Enough so that if you're a 300 pound Marine with a pepper spray in your pocket, you can actually set it off in your own pants. <laughs> I tell you that to say, I've been in life and death experiences with this best friend of mine, Johnny. There's a whole nother story about when he fell down a waterfall. I won't get into that. But we're, our senior year of high school, we're driving to school and that my life literally flashed before my eyes. He was driving, he catches the edge of the road, he overcorrects, spins the car 10 times at 50 miles an hour. I get thrown out of the vehicle. 
I break my back in two places. I break my skull. You can see this, this uh, uh, scar. Tore my ear off. All the girls like, all the guys like, eh. <laughs> Tear my ear off. Took 96 stitches to put my ear back on. I had to lay on my back. I was in intensive care for a week. And then I had to lay on my back for two months. During that time, for the first time, I said, hey, mom, dad, do you think you'd give me a guitar? <laughs> 17 years old, never touched a guitar before. And they got me a guitar for Christmas. And I made a recovery. The doctor said I'd never walk again. <laughs> the point is, the point is, I was actually really mad at God during this time. Of course, I didn't know that 20 years later, I'd be playing on the main stage of creation. I just thought that God had ruined my soccer chances. I was on the soccer team and the basketball team. I loved sports. And all of a sudden, our team was 17-0. We were ranked first in the state. And I'm going, God, what are you doing this to me for? I can't run. Yeah, big deal, so I can walk again. But I don't get to finish out my senior year. I was mad at God because he had ruined my plan for my life. Does that resonate with anybody? So, begrudgingly, I start learning to play the guitar. I remember one time, I had actually made a full recovery by basketball season, so I was able to play some basketball. I remember the girls varsity coach actually told me to stop playing because it sounded like cats were dying. I was so, I was so bad at the guitar. And uh, I get to college, right? actually been electrocuted by a microphone before, so I'm like, Jesus did it, man. He must have had a really amazing voice. Whoa. I guess he's God, so he can do that kind of thing. Um, so where was I? All right. So college. So I go to college, learning the guitar, still kind of mad that God ruined my plans. And so I got a new plan. I was also in the play every year, and so I decided to become a theater major, right? I'm like, here we go. Theater major. I'm going to go be famous for Jesus, right? And uh, so I go 
to Palm Beach Atlantic University. By the way, if there's any high schoolers, I know there's a lot of colleges here. I don't want to endorse one college, but PBA was awesome. Um, and I go down there, and I'm like, here I am, because it was a small school. I'd gotten accepted into um, James Madison University's theater department. So that was a big school. I had to audition. I kind of felt like a big shot. So I get down to college. I go, look, you're welcome that I'm here. I'm going to bless you with my expertise, right? And shockingly, the very opposite happened. I think in my first two years of college, I got a total of two speaking lines in every play. And I said, God, I just don't get you. First, I'm going to do sports. You shut that door. Now I'm trying to do acting, which I felt really good at. And now you're going to shut that door. Why do you keep ruining my plan for my life? Well, in the meantime, I had a lot of free time because I wasn't in any of these plays. <laughs> so my buddy who plays drums, who he actually grew up going to creation. He went to every creation from when he was first born to when he was 20. And his parents sold jewelry up here. They've been to like 30 creations in a, like every, I think they've been to every creation or something crazy like that. In any case, we, he goes, hey, man, like, let's start a band. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Okay, whatever. And here's the crazy part. We start playing together. And I am the worst kid at my college at the guitar. The only reason I'm trying to play guitar is to pick up girls, right? Because <laughs> girls like guys who play guitar. So I'm, I have not a spiritual desire behind any of this. It's just totally, I just want a girl to like me, you know. God has other plans, right? And suddenly we would go and we'd play these things and people would want us to come and play, come back. I go, you guys realize I'm not good, right? Like all these other people are way better than me. And it was God's way of going, yeah, I need you to understand that it isn't you. That it really is my grace. And you know what's crazy? By the end of my senior year, I actually had to turn down two roles in the plays because our band was getting asked to play all over the state. How many of you guys have seen uh, Monsters University? Okay. Monsters University really shocked me when I saw it because usually when you watch a Disney movie, the main message is, hey, what you want to do, go do it. What you want to be, go be it. You can do anything. You can be anything. Don't you let anybody tell you any different. I'm like, I tried that when I was seven when I tried to be an eagle and tried to fly off a roof. I broke my leg, okay? <laughs> you can't be anything you want. And I loved Monsters University because you got the Mike Wazowski wants everything in his life to be a scare. And then you've got, you know, what's his name? <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> Sully, the totally naturally talented but never worked a day in his life. And it's not fair that he's the scare and Mike isn't because Mike's worked so much harder and yet Scully gets all the praise and accolades. This just isn't fair kind of guy, right? And then you've got this beautiful message where you come to realize... Mike Wazowski, you had that dream in your heart, but it wasn't the way you thought it was going to be. And some of us are still angry at God because we have dreams, and instead of opening up our hands on them and saying, God, you take this desire and you do with it what you want, you've clenched your fists on it and you've said, this is the way it's got to go. 
And when you clench your fists down on the talents that God has given you, you squeeze his life right out of them. If I had squeezed down on, no, I'm going to be an actor, this is what I'm going to do, I would have missed this whole other beautiful path that God was opening up for me. Y'all hear me? So I want to go back to that passage. I'll just quote it for you. But it basically says, God's will for your life is to be joyful always. What? No. Oh, no, I'm not talking to you. I didn't know that was you. I just. Oh, cool. Great to have you. What's your name? Nice to meet you, Jesse. It's a, it's a gift that we have to give you as the church to just embrace that. So everyone say, we embrace you, Jesse. I wanted to say that to my pastor the other day. There was this baby crying. And he was like, he kept looking at the baby like, get that baby out of here. I want to go, man, dude, why don't you just pause the sermon and let's all just embrace the fact this baby's crying. Like, maybe send someone to go help the mom, and then we'll get on with it. Like, you can always tell on an airplane who has kids and who doesn't. Because when a baby starts crying on an airplane, everyone who's never had a baby goes, oh. And then everybody who has had a kid goes, it's not mine. Oh. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, God's will for your life is to be joyful. God's will for your life is to be thankful. God's will for your life is to keep praying. I don't know about you. I hate that. I don't want to keep praying. I want him to give me the answer. But you know what Isaiah says? It says, as you walk along, you will hear a voice right behind you, whether to the left or to the right, saying, this is the way, walk in it. In other words, God doesn't want to give you an answer. He wants to give you himself. There's this great old song by David Wilcox that said, Oh God, if you gave me a vision, I would never have reason to use my faith. Did you hear that? God, if you gave me a vision, I would never have reason to use my faith. I want to transition real quick because I want to have a little time for Q&A i got one more point to kind of tell you. God's will for your life is to give you himself. He doesn't need you. I'm going to talk about this song, Control, in our set tonight. It's a song we wrote because our band almost broke up. Because we were just doing too many shows and we were about to burn out. But Acts 17 says, God is not served by men's hands if he needed anything. He gives to us life, breath, and all things, which means God doesn't need you. God wants you. Your loveliness to God does not rise and fall with your usefulness to him. Let me say that again. Your loveliness to God does not rise and fall with your usefulness. Are there things you could do to be more useful? Absolutely. Does that make him love you any more or less? Absolutely not. You know how I know? I know because the Lord's Supper. How many of you guys have ever taken the Lord's Supper? Eucharist, communion, it's called a lot of things. Do you know that when Jesus offered that to the disciples for the first time, he was saying, will you marry me? See, God doesn't just see us as family. He doesn't just see us as brothers and sisters. He doesn't just see us as friends. He sees us as his bride. And all the dudes in the place just went, what? 
I ain't nobody's bride. Mm-mm. But when Jesus said, this is my covenant, take and drink it, what those disciples would have heard in their turn of the millennium, you know, fishermen minds, they would have heard, will you marry me? Which I would have loved to have been there for that moment. Because I bet there's this long, awkward pause and everyone looked around and go, you do it, Peter. <laughs> You're always jumping into stuff. See, when a guy was going to marry a girl back then, he'd get his dad and he'd go, yo, dad, that girl, I want to make little rabbis with her. So you need to go talk to her dad and we need to see what can happen here. And so his dad would go over to her dad and be like, hey, how much will it cost to, uh, you know, let my, my boy marry your girl? And he'd be like, well, like, it'll be like 40 camels for you to like, ask for it. It's like Otto from uh, Star Wars. 40 pod racers, okay. And, um, and they'd be talking. And girls, you're going to like this. He wasn't buying the rights to her. He was buying the right to ask her. See, he could ask her, and she could still say, no, nah, you smell like Hamas. I don't want you. And that would be the end of it. He would buy this right to ask this girl. He would get all his friends and family in a room. He'd pour wine into a cup, and he would slide it across the table to her. And ceremonially, he would say, this is my covenant with you. Will you take and drink it? At which point, the girl could, you know, pass it on, or she could take the goblet, take a sip, and that was her saying, yes. Check this out. So then the girl would go to her house, and the groom would go back to his house, and they wouldn't see each other for the whole engagement right? That's tough. She would be renamed. During the engagement, she would go back to her house, and no one would call her by her name. They would refer to her as one who is bought with a price. Are you guys connecting some of these dots here? The dude would go back to his house. The only way they could communicate was the, the Holy Spirit. He was like the best man, right? So he'd be like, Here's a note. Check yes, no, or maybe. You know, he'd take it over to her town and be like, this is what she says, and he'd give the dough back. And that's how they'd communicate. And it could be six months or even a year because the groom had to go build her a mansion. All the girls said, yeah, build me a mansion. Well, hold on. In the Aramaic, the word mansion we see in Scripture actually means apartment. <laughs> and to top it off, it was built onto his parents' house. All of a sudden, the girl said, oh, no, I don't want to marry a Jewish boy. No, no, no. You see, there was a family insula is what it was called. And each generation would build on and build on and build on. And it would be, uh, encapsulate an entire city block. So he'd be building this mansion. And here's the crazy part. He didn't get to decide when it was done. His father did. So he'd be working on the mansion. And every day, he'd go, yo, dad, is it done? He'd be like, Nah. It's like, oh. So you go back to work. Is it done? No. Is it done? No. And finally, one day, the dad would say, all right, go get your girl. The girl, meanwhile, she wouldn't know the day or the time or the hour. She'd be sitting up every day waiting like a thief in the night. And she'd be waiting for her groom. All of a sudden, one day, unannounced, the groom and his groomsmen would bust out their shofars, right? They'd come into her town unannounced, bust out some ram's horns, which kind of sound like... <laughs> Let me hear everyone do that real quick. No, I'm sorry. That's too weird. Don't do that. Um, and they'd blow it, and she'd go, oh, my goodness. And she would basically... Throw open the door, run down the steps, and down the altar, and they get married, live happily ever after, right? Do you hear what I'm telling you? 
Jesus says, this is my covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for you. Take and drink it, all of it. The disciples say, yes, I do. Then Jesus says, hey, I'm going to have to leave for a while. And during this engagement time, you're no longer going to be called by your name. You're going to be one who is bought with a price. But be patient. The day is going to come like a thief in the night, and I'm not going to leave you here alone. I'm going to send my best man, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to communicate between me and you while you wait. In the meantime, I got to go back to my father's house where there are many mansions because I got to go create a place for you. And I don't know the day, the time, or the hour. Only the father knows when it will be done. But when he gives me the word, I'm going to get my groomsmen, the holy angels. They're going to get their shofars, the four trumpets, and we're going to blow them from the four corners of the earth when I come home to take you home to be my bride. This thing was never meant to be God in heaven saving us so then he could use us. You are not a commodity for God to use. You are a treasure he gave everything to win back. And the thing he wants to give you isn't success. It isn't accomplishment. It's living in his presence every day. It's being joyful even when the pain gets so hard. It's giving thanks even when you feel like there's nothing to be thankful for because you know at the end of all of this, this isn't all there is. And your treasure, your living hope, First Peter says, is kept in heaven for you, unperished, unblemished, untarnished, forever. We have a treasure. His name is Jesus. It's not what you do for Jesus. In fact, I'll say this to end it. We played this youth conference a long time ago. It was a state youth convention. And they had a theme. You, ever, you guys ever been to a youth convention? They always have like a big slogan. It's usually something really intense like, fire on fuego, burn, like explode. You know, it's always something like that. And this one was, live big for God. And at the beginning of every session, they would have the kids chant it like the mummy. Emote. Live big for God, emotet, right? And something about it, I was like, man, I, yeah, we want to live for God, but what's something about that's not right to me. Last morning, I get up, and I'm like, oh, boy. And I start strumming my guitar, and I go, I don't think you should live big for God. <laughs> you know, all the leaders are like, what? I said, until you learn how to live because of God. Because if you don't know the love of Christ, then your living for him will just be an attempt to get him to love you, which he already does. And I don't want your living for God to be the thing that keeps you from God. God is not interested in maximizing your potential. He's interested in purifying your potential. And basically to say, I'm finding God's life for my will is saying, God, I'm learning to surrender and just say yes to whatever comes my way. Even if it looks like you're thwarting my plans to play soccer. Even if it looks like you're thwarting my plans to be in theater. Even if it means that like I have to break my back, but I believe a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life. So even if you have to break me, I say yes. Because I know you will always put me back together better than I could have put myself together.
Yeah. So be encouraged. God's life for you is now. It's him. Amen. I want to take a couple questions really quick before I got to skedaddle. Yes. What's your name? What's up, Nicole? Yeah, great question. She said, after the high of playing on stage, what do you do when you come down? And that's a great question. I mean, we'll go from thousands of people, we're all singing together, and then you're alone on a bus. And like, um, to be honest, this sounds so simple, but I take walks with God. A lot of us think that God can't handle some of the things you're thinking or feeling. And so you bury them away, and maybe you complain about it to your friends, but you never complain to God. Do you know what Kierkegaard said? He said, hard name to say, but simple thing he said. He said, the critics and the cynics argue with each other. The saints argue with God. You look at Jeremiah, you look at David, you, I mean, through the scripture, these guys who are like amazing men of God, they let God have it. They said, God, I don't get it. God, I feel empty. God, I feel lonely. God, where did you go? I just, I mean, there are prayers that David has. Psalm 73 comes to mind. He's like, God, I used to feel you in the sanctuary. I used to behold you. And now there's all these wicked men getting away with all this stuff. Where did you go? Maybe it's been in vain that I've kept my hands pure. I love the honesty of that. When was the last time you cried out? David says in Psalm 62, pour your heart out before the Lord. Whatever questions you got, whatever anger you got, he can take it. He knows it anyway. And what happens is when we pour ourselves out, and I know you might feel like a madman going on a walk with God, but my spiritual life changed when I started taking walks and just screaming out loud. I had to find a field to do it. And people were like, that dude, crazy, man. But I was just like, God, I don't get it. Where are you? Da, da, da. And I would shout. And what happens is, just like in the Psalms, you'll see David for, you know, 12 verses. God, Psalm 13, how long, oh, Lord, will you, like, be gone forever? How long will you be away from me? How long? And then at the end, he's like, but I'll trust in your unfailing love. There's something that happens when you let it all out to the Lord that you go, oh, Okay. I got you. You got me. And there's just no other way around it. Because God wants you. He doesn't want something from you. He wants you. Amazing. Any other questions? Yeah. I'm doing a speaker tour right now, girl. That's what we're doing. I, I mean, I do love to talk. My band, we always fight about it because they're like, you're talking too much. And I'm like, I know. Like tonight we have 55 minutes. So I'm just like, oh, i got to get the songs. i got to play the songs. I want to tell you something, but I can't. got to play the songs, you know. So uh, I would love to. Uh, we'll see. I'm, I actually just am finishing up a book about all this called Finding God's Life for My Will. So we'll see, see if it comes out or whatever. I always, I always feel like I'm just saying stuff that everyone else has already said. Um, but God has a way of just going, yeah, you are. But for some reason or another, people understand it when you say it. So keep saying it. 
you know, so, yeah. Dude, great question. She said, what if the, my car accident had been my fault? Well, I'll tell you what. My best friend, he lived with guilt for years. And I always said, bro, I wish I was the one driving. But I want you to know it doesn't change the way I see you at all. Because here's what you have to accept. I just found out me and my wife are having our fourth child. And it's a fourth girl. All my princesses. That's right. And you know what? You know how many people, actually, when we first found out, this was three days ago we found out, and my wife started crying because so many people, when they found out we were pregnant, it's like, man, I hope you have a boy. Man, I, have, I hope you have a boy. Man, I hope you have a boy. And you know what I said to my wife as we're sitting in the parking lot after we found out it's a girl? I said, don't let other people's expectations make you disappointed with God. Because God seems to think we should have four girls. So I ain't going to be disappointed about it. I'm going to celebrate about it. I'm like, bring on the Disney dresses. Come on. Yeah. Dude, such a great question. How, what do you do when you're just going through the motions? And this is going to sound weird. Go through the motions. I was listening to this guy. He's an Ironman winner, and he does double Ironmans. He, he does two Ironmans, right? And he, uh, you know, that's, uh, you do an Ironman, and then you sleep. You, like, have 24-hour break. Then you do another Ironman. And he's won these things. And the dude's, like, 60 now. And he, I, they, they asked him, how did you do it? And he goes, well, most people listen to themselves. I talk to myself. If you look through the scriptures, you'll see David do things like this. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in the Lord. He tells his soul what to do. And we don't like that because our culture our feelings are the most important thing. What our culture likes to do is, this is what you feel, this is what's true. True needs to bend around you. But scripturally, we see a totally different dichotomy. We say, this is what's true, I'm going to let what I feel bend around what's true. And you know what's true? I may not feel like worshiping, but God is worthy to be worshiped. And so... That's why I tried to write songs that I know I'll always be able to sing. I don't write songs say, God, I feel like worshiping, because I know there's times I'm not going to feel like worshiping. But I can always sing, let me see redemption win. Let me know the struggle ends, because I know I'll always be able to sing that. Yeah. Thanks. I'm trying my best up here. What's your name? Hi, Emily. Did you hear that verse I read from 1 Thessalonians when I was first starting? It said, 
take tender care with those who are weak. And I want you all to realize this, that sometimes God redeems us from our struggles, and sometimes God redeems us through our struggles. There's a lot of radio stations that wouldn't play our song, Warn, because they said it doesn't resolve. And I said, God never promised us to resolve things. He promised to redeem things. And there's a difference. And I want you to know, if you're weak, we're not commanded to make you kick your butt in gear and do better. We're commanded to take tender care for those who are weak. God doesn't look at you as like this crutch that he's got to drag along, right? Even when you got nothing to offer him but your doubts and questions, he still treasures you. And with that, I got to run and do sound check. I'm going to pray, and, uh, and hopefully, man, God encouraged you and uh, helped you maybe take the pressure off yourself. And maybe if you're walking away, this is kind of the, the three words I want you to remember. Don't work for rest. Work from rest. Don't work to be loved and to be noticed and to be applauded. Work because you're loved and you are noticed and you are applauded. And God takes great pleasure in you, even when you're not taking great pleasure in him. Father, I thank you so much um, just for the gift it is to get to stand out here and just remind myself like my boy was talking about, just telling my soul what's true, that you are worthy of worship and you do love me and I am the disciple that Jesus loves and you want to marry me, God. That's the kind of intimacy you want with us. And, uh, and Father, help me when I'm feeling down to not run to a host of other things that I could run for comfort, but I pray that I would run to you for comfort. I, I, I just think about I'll end with this, Lord, but uh, Moses prayed in Psalm 90, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. And God, you and I know he wrote that because he knew that if he didn't get satisfied in you, he would try to run to something else for that. And I'm tired of running to anything else for satisfaction because none of it's as good as you because you made everything. And God, your presence is better than anything else you could give us. So we love you. It's in your name we pray. Uh, all God's people said, amen. Thank you, guys. You guys have been amazing.